0: Hi, and welcome to the Design Systems Podcast. This podcast is about the place where design and development overlap. We talk with experts to get their point of view about trends in design, code, and how it relates to the world around us. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Knapsack. Check us out at knapsack.cloud. If you want to get in touch with the show, ask some questions, or generally tell us what you think, go ahead and tweet us at the DSPod. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Adam Argyle. He's a Chrome developer advocate that works at Google. He's focused on CSS. He's a member of the working group. Um, this is our second conversation. Adam, so excited to have you back. Thanks for coming, man.
1: Oh, love it here. This is uh, the most thrilling and deep conversations I get in the back of the front. How could I resist? It's just so much fun. So
0: this is our first real like deep cut conversation where Adam and I are going to jam for a couple of hours across some big topics. And try to go a little deeper than the normal surface conversation we have. And so uh, we're probably going to get pretty into the weeds in part of this. It's going to be a little more uncut. Uh, I'd say a little less polished and and put together than our normal ones. Uh, so here's that conversation, warts and all. Um, super stoked. We've got tokens on the menu. We've got the idea of uh, looking at, at governance and how we construct things on the menu. And then we've got uh, uh, tools and how... Uh, tools are, are about the creation of a synthetic experience and how that, that tooling and our thought process around design systems needs to change so that we're better able to express our design intent and see that reflected in our products. All right. So I think that the best thing to start with when we start to think about tokens is, is the age old question, what the heck is a token? Is this a key value pair? Is this a function? Is this something that is just representative of a value in a system? When you hear design tokens, give me maybe like a then and now. Like when you first heard the word, what did you think it was? And then, you know, nowadays, how has that thinking changed?
1: Excellent way to phrase that. Because, yeah, it started at, uh, innocent and small, right? Your colors were your tokens. It's almost like your SAS variables were your first forte into tokens. Or maybe if you'd pulled them uh, out of your SAS or out of your stylus and were, you know, providing them as data to your preprocessors. Now you're really getting into it because you're looping over a structure in your style sheet. Um, But yeah, in the beginning, it's just a value, I think, was like some sort of const. It was a CSS const that you could pass around, that it was reliable, uh, that it wouldn't change. And that's where it started. But we're sort of at a position now where tokens are... Uh, rich objects. They could be a list. They could be, uh, uh, you know, nested and they have much more properties. And these are ways for them to sort of integrate with other systems. There's even standards now about the shape and size and properties that are on these tokens. And we're now at a point where these are packets, they're little data packets, and they could
0: contain a lot of different stuff. Yeah, no. so, So taking it from that starting point, I think that the fun the fun thing about that too is, is like my first exposure was like pretty much everybody's right color, and the way they were expressed to me yeah. was these are a way of re- representing and expressing key value pairs inside of your system, and so it is it is name colon variable, in in basically every instance, and you know th- even that is is relatively powerful because the idea of like you know uh, a key value pairing that you then have the ability to manipulate and transform based on your particular medium was something that I immediately recognized as like, oh, okay, so this is like, you know, the new XML or the new JSON or whatever. And I mean, not really in that, like, it was very simple in its construction, but also a way of essentially codifying a system for things where instead of having to have like red and a hex code and an HSL value and an RGB value, you actually had this idea of like color primary and you could assign any of those things more dynamically as, as a variable more or less assigned to a token. Um and then I started to think about it in terms of of like typography and in terms of spacing and in terms of shadows but then you start to get into the really interesting ones which are are like animation and and how you have then multi token uh things that that those tokens interact with each other and feed off of each other and that was my first real exposure to the idea of like this multivariate set that if you don't have if you just have a token that has a timing but you don't have a token that has an animation type that timing token is worthless Um, likewise, if you have an animation type token that you don't feed timing to, that token is worthless. And so that was my first like binary construction idea of like, Hey, these things need to be in pairs or need to be collections. And then you start to get a dependency. You
1: have a dependency happening between your graph of tokens. Right. And yeah. How do you articulate that? And how do you manage it? Because you're, you're right. There is, this is pretty much ineffective without its siblings, of you know, associated tokens.
0: very cool precisely and then you start to think about like all right so if i need to have pairs of tokens why couldn't i have like parent tokens and children tokens and higher level tokens exactly (laughs) then all of a sudden you're in this world where you're like well why aren't tokens layout (laughs) and and the leap from like colors to layout is as ridiculous as it seems but also like absolutely in my opinion the direction where all this is headed
1: yeah I, i like to think of tokens now as like we're trying to get rid of all the compute and all the, you know, like how much can we know ahead of time and then distribute to CSS so that CSS isn't originating this stuff? Like a lot of this was born out of abstraction, right? You're tired of repeating the same color. So you make a color variable. Now you have a key value pair and anyone can reference it. And now you can change it from one place. Um, But naturally you build upon this stuff and it gets much more complex. And two, where we are today. Yeah, where we're kind of like going to talk about content tokens, layout tokens, um, tokens with dependencies. These are really intense um, ways that we're trying to move more and more of this. Um, who owns the responsibility of these values to somewhere more higher level? Yeah, we are. We're pushing things higher and higher and higher out of our style sheets and more into a system.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you remember the old school like HTML and CSS, like really even before you had like real CSS, where you were basically like, you know, defining in your your paragraph tag, like, you know, font face, you know, size, all of that other sorts of stuff. All those things that were basically like properties of your paragraph tag that then got, you know, abstracted up to CSS, which was like absolutely the right call. Like you shouldn't be defining styles in your HTML tags and then like yep. you know bumping that up another level now we have this idea of like now i'm not just defining i'm not just defining css for my page or for my element on my page i'm defining it for my entire ecosystem or my entire product or or some broader scale thing because people have realized like you need to ladder up from html elements to styles for a page to styles for a system um And maybe there's styles for product in there in somewhere in between. But this layering of abstraction is important because the things that you're defining now at the top of that pyramid are the baseline definition for everything down below.
1: Yeah. And color is a good example because it starts so innocent, right? You have a web application and it needs a color. And then what you've articulated there is like, well, now you have a native Android app. Okay, so how are you going to share your colors? It's like, well, you have to move them higher. Mm-hmm. The colors have to exist, not in the implementation. They must be raised up. And then as you add more places that your color needs to exist, which could be in print, etc., you need to have a system where you can have one color that then gets Uh, you know, sort of child colors, tokens created for these different implementation systems and you distribute them that way. Yeah, and your color all of a sudden went from, you know, pound CCC as like a light gray to now it's defined as something, uh, maybe it's still pound CCC at the very high level, but when it gets distributed out, it could be, you know, an XML color, it could be an Objective-C color and you sort of start to distribute um, the value in a more specific way to each, ecosystem. And and yeah, that's just so funny how we move from this simple desire and now we're into the, a web, right? We went from key value, straightforward, one-to-one match. You could read it and now we're in a, a web and a dependency system and a distribution mechanism until we eventually get to our conversation towards the end here about federation and how do you manage uh, who can change that value, right? It becomes really dangerous. <gasps> Someone changed the brand color at the highest level and distributed
0: right. it to 20 different child apps or whatever, right? Like, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's funny. No, I mean, that single source of truth also being a single point of failure. I-, I think that as it relates to specifically color, like I think the reason why we use color is because it is so um, attention-grabbing when you sit there and you show people mm. that don't have a systematic way of approaching this via tokens or via design systems. And you say, like, all right, you know, um, let's take a, a very large social networking app that uses a lot of the color gray. Uh, you know, when we were talking with them, they had something like 250 different shades of their core sets of gray, which is like, <laughs> yeah. you know, probably about 220 too many. Um, and yep. so when you think about that, like that's not born out of somebody's like willful, willful ignorance or, or malice to go create like yet another shade of gray. It's because there is no higher order system that's in place that helps define the rules of that abstraction then filters out to all the other parts of the ecosystem. And I think it's only really yeah. been recent that people have actually like gave a damn about this sort of stuff, right? Because the service area of apps is expanding so rapidly, right? Like we, we've all watched, especially with like, you know, the past you know year with COVID and everything like that. So much of our life is digital and it's ever more so becoming digital. And that surface area that all of a sudden these teams that these enterprises have to manage has grown so rapidly, but those teams haven't grown in size to match. And so, you know, whereas it might not have been that big of a deal to go refactor 270 shades of gray four years ago, that's now a big problem because that's across like ecosystems of millions or billions of users that have a, a huge amount of localization, a huge amount of diversity, a huge amount of just like, implications for that change and without managing it managing it centrally i don't know how people get their arms around it
1: yeah it's definitely one of those things that folks get reactive about um it being at a consultancy often we'd have clients come and they're like well my brand grew and uh, you know we made stationary and now we have 40 websites we have no idea what our colors are doing uh because we grew into this digital world uh you know reactively and so we haven't been proactive and we have to go get a hold of our brand our brand is diluted and um and yeah so we want a single source of truth it and distribute it and how do we do that and i think it's just really common that these things get away from you because they they feel so tiny and innocent in the moment and they build so slowly it's almost like a frog in lukewarm water or whatever right it's like it just doesn't know um until until it's boiling um yeah
0: yeah there's there's like a um there's a fun conference talk there called like the danger of the eyedropper tool or something like that. And just to specifically (laughs) talk about it related to color tokens. (laughs) Um, But uh, kind of the thing I want to move this towards is, is thinking about like, so I think that we can all agree that, that tokens have moved beyond just key value pairs and they're now into Mm -hmm. functions and objects and these sort of multivariate structures, you know, that's an exciting landscape because like I said, like tokens as loud as a possible thing, right? You could basically say like, let yeah. me go define regions on a page. Let me go define content. Let me go define localization. Um, All of these things are enabled by this idea of this network view of this abstraction. And I really kind of want to hear from you like what you've seen come out of this because – this is as back end as the, of the front end as it gets is is this idea that we're defining a bunch of different base level functions for, for how we think about the visual layout of our site. And, and I mean, even beyond the visual side, um, where do you see this going?
1: Yeah, nice question. I mean, I think of it a lot like um, state management libraries always wanted to focus on normalizing all their paths and sort of like having a single source of truth and... The goal with you know tokens it's the same thing here is we want to change something centrally and and have it propagate through the rest um let's see what i I got lost in the question thinking about my answer, and
0: yeah no so so basically like all right, so we've got you know this idea of tokens as functions, tokens as as these multivariate objects. Um. Like yeah. What gets enabled by this? I mean, th- this is the back end of the front end. So where does this all go?
1: Got it. Yes. Okay. So this is the most hardcore back of the front, right? It's so back of the front. It has no front. Right. Right. And you are supporting all of the fronts. And I think that's what this future is trying to do here is it's, um, you know, we started by moving to the back of the front of the front, right? The front of the front and the back of the front. And we were doing a lot of the same work of, whoa, whoa, so, whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa. you're going to have to slow down through that part. Cause you lost, you lost me on that one. Right.
1: Okay. So we got the front of the front, which is someone that might not, um, they're going to be grabbing the values, maybe not even grabbing the values from this. Uh, token system so like let's say someone wants to build a new login page and they need to know the colors of the backgrounds of the various services like the card and stuff the front of the front user is going to go consume or the front of the front developer is going to consume these values and the back of the front developer is going to go make sure that those values are easy to consume by the front end developer and so that's the front of the front of the back of the front and what I mean is that was where we started it was the relationship was very much at runtime in the browser and we're moving this uh, work into a service into an api and by again going higher level what we're now able to support is multiple platforms sharing these tokens in their own contextual ways that they need to and i i kind of think of it like we're moving all of the compute stuff which is computing colors computing it's like all your consts you're moving all your consts into an api into like a data Mm -hmm. mesh And then you're just allowing n number of views to grab those values and compose. And so it's kind of like what functional programming is trying to do, where they take a lot of the compute functions and they try to just make these small compute functions that are pure. I think that's what a design system is trying to do. It's trying to move all that stuff higher level, make it pure so that it's just a computation, and then let all the orchestration and all the composition, all the really complex stuff actually, goes back into the front end system sort of more purely. So you're separating them out. And allowing them to move more quickly and to scale better um, by just, again, moving that into a higher level space, into an API. Uh, yeah, that it does get a little mixed up, but I think I answered the question there.
0: No, totally. I think that, that um, you know, it's the, <laughs> uh, my my favorite, like, kind of cringy dev joke is, is you know, two front end developers walk into a bar and they have nothing to talk about. Right. Um <laughs> like it is like the idea that that we're defining all of these like very low level functions that are very pure as you say um that are then used as as constructors for much bigger and better things at an implementation level. I think that that's really fascinating because now what you're talking about is you're talking about like um you know things that you can also develop more lower level capability around like like adaptive color comes to mind right and so do i really need that front of the front end person if my back of the front end is using adaptive color to to automatically understand based on color context what color rules should apply to any one element on my page um uh, it becomes a really interesting frontier where like, and, and like, look, you know, we're pushing a couple of years out here, right? I know like exactly two people really using adaptive color. But uh, if you think about that, that's a really interesting, powerful ecosystem, right? Like if what's setting my colors is this very backend API driven process, could I apply machine learning to that? Could I apply any number of other things to that to basically start to have it make a lot of these decisions for me?
1: Nice. Uh, that would be really fun to see um especially since it's centralized you can see the compute patterns there's probably uh, patterns in your dependency graph you could go learn from and yeah there's probably analysis that you could do and all sorts of stuff yeah
0: i I love like your analogy also to like you know um (laughs) all the wonderful stuff that xstate gives us around like like the the graphs and the flow charts and all this other things like that like I would love to see that sort of similarly expressed for design tokens in more advanced situations because I think it would look relatively similar to like uh, uh how you track a, a state machine um, because you are talking about not state per se, but in essence with, with a bunch of these lower level tokens.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what lends itself nice too is that um, you know a lot of the brands or businesses that have design system issues, it's because they're really big. Like when you're small, you don't tend to have the need to distribute a bunch of colors amongst a whole bunch of people and sort of centralize it. And we have these really big uh, teams and big products. You've already mentioned like design systems are best when they need to fulfill multiple front ends front ends mm-hmm. or multiple environments. It's multi- like, right, there's like a multiplier effect here. There's multiple interested things. Um, and I think that's important to think about that with the graph, there is always going to be, at least the goal is to centralize everything to the top and start to distribute things down to all the children products, and those child products, and and this is why I like the graph could definitely fork the color, and be like, okay, yep. we are a yep. sub brand, right? We are this is again like inheritance, right? You I would could say, call super. No, on I would say it's system. an
0: imperative. It's an imperative that they be able to fork it.
1: Yeah, it is imperative, right? Because that's really what every child brand is or child product is going to want to do is like, hey, yes, we want to look like we're in the family, but we we don't want to look like we're all wearing khakis and t-shirts. Like we want to. <laughs> have some (laughs) uniqueness to us like when you look at the family right so yeah you got to be able to fork and i think eventually we need a system that shows us this where it's almost like a get you need a visual representation of all these different child design systems that are inheriting you and you know who are you going to impact when you make a change like it's just a big graph man i love anyway graphs are fun
0: the the pajamagram uh uh style of mapping out design systems. I love it. You want to look like you're in the family, but you wanna have your own unique pajamas. <laughs> yep. Um, no so so if you think about where that comes from, you're absolutely right. That like these systems thrive when there's a lot of complexity to manage. Because that's what this is all about is trying to figure out how to like abstract away some of that complexity that can then get get managed that lowest level. And we have I think, you know. For better or for worse, like our audience, we predominantly target the people that are actually managing those design systems. But if you think about like what this relates to for your developer just consuming the design system on any old app that is is in that design system ecosystem, it's important for them to understand how they're able to affect change inside of their own product, right? Like sure there's this systems-based view that's out there, but if I'm if I'm a part of ABC Corp. And my app is is uh you know one of many. How is that that developer in that app? do I make sure that that color override goes through that right chain in that dependency graph to give me an effective change for the color i want to to have in my app? yeah um, and that's a place that like design systems have not been great yet, and I feel like it's very important to understand that like. We are designing tools for ourselves predominantly right now. As a design system team, we're designing tools that help us manage that abstraction. But when you actually go and consume that abstraction, either that as a, a localization, or that as an individual app, or um, you know possibly that as as in another device, uh, you we need to start creating tools for those people too to understand how the changes that they're trying to get into their own application flow through a system like this
1: absolutely you know what i really love about this observation is just a couple things like abstraction is always so attractive and feels so good and i'm just going to run you through an abstraction that happened in our kitchen recently and how it negatively affected everyone
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay i love this let's do it (laughs) okay right
1: like one person gets a an idea that everything's messy and needs to be centralized and get moved or everything needs a new location okay so some person goes and thinks about it really deeply and thoughtfully and maybe even labels everything and puts it all the way into a new place. Okay, now all the other people come in to make something in the kitchen. And sure, maybe it's all in a new spot, but they don't know where it is. And there's mm-hmm. like a new learning. Like, okay, every time you abstract, you actually make the distance from the desire and the way you get there one step further. So the more that you abstract, the further you actually take someone away from the thing. And so, yeah, I love what you're saying here, which is okay, let's say we had a sick design system. Developer A sits down, needs to pick a color for the input. Oh, snap. What do they have to do? Open up a design document on a website somewhere, scroll through 20 pages just to find the color that ended up being XKY12. I don't know, something funky. But um, I know that Knapsack has uh, conveniences here for this. Like there's autocomplete as you're typing. So what I'm getting at is abstracting really fun really meaningful has a downside there's a new learning curve now every time you go into the kitchen or you open up this folder there's new folders to understand like why do i have new folders what's going like i swear every new folder is like a mental amount of baggage even though it's the cognitive load is crazy the cognitive load of just a folder is nuts right so yeah thank you for being really considerate to the developer sitting down that needs to go find this now remote color that's no longer mm-hmm. somewhere near them like it used to be. It used to be just mm, just right around the corner. Um, no, so I mean
0: back to your back to your kitchen analogy. Like you yeah. know, they used to walk into a kitchen and just like like make an egg, and now that they have to walk into a kitchen and like go to drawer six, uh, slot three to find the spatula to flip the egg. That that's not relevant to them that it lives in 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 drawer three slot six. They just want to make a freaking egg. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, the more you have people open open drawers and sort through pockets, the the more challenging it becomes for them to get the thing done that they're trying to do. Yeah. Types,
1: TypeScript reminds me of in the kitchen all the time is um, like someone who's uh, ambitious about containers you know, like, and they let, they label every container. Right. And so it's like, okay, cool. I want a spatula. Where the spatulas, the spatulas are in the container labeled flatware. Container. Right. And you're like, okay. So I open up flatware. It's got 10 more containers. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have to like deduce my way. Um, and anyway, I like these things. They're fun. Both of these have complementary mentalities. And I think grouping and organizing and abstracting is healthy I don't think as much as I criticize it that design systems are doing anything wrong. I think it's really healthy to continue moving higher level because the problem space is super real. That at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, maybe it is now a little bit different to choose a color for a developer, um, that they're not just going to go into a design file. They're not going to use a picker. They need to find something from the system, from the data mesh that's being distributed for the application. But what they're not going to do is use the wrong color or it add complexity to the scale of all the colors And there. So anyway, I think the value that you get back is much it's, it is important enough to do all this work and to put the time in. I think the payoff is there. And I don't always say that about stuff like abstractions, but I think design systems are very much worth it.
0: No, absolutely. And I think that like, you have to balance that, that desire to do the right thing with that path of least resistance. Um, because, you know, there's only going to be so much uh, uh, that someone is going to be willing to suffer to do the right thing. yeah. Um, And so the the ability to basically still make the right thing, the path of least resistance, is the most powerful solution for that. And I think that what we're doing as a community that's maybe not quite perfect is we're still trying to figure all this design system stuff out, right? Like these are still pretty new conceptually. Yeah. And so we haven't figured out all of our own ways of thinking and tooling and all this other stuff like that to be able to then focus on our consumer. And it's kind of like any other broader product concept. I mean, you remember like responsive web design, right? Like when that first came out, everyone's like, Oh, you need to have like a mobile site and nobody could figure out what that was um, for a really long time. Right. We had like m.mydomain.com. We had, you know, media queries that were basically making an entirely different site. And then we finally were like, okay, you know, it's it's these handful of things with you know grids and, and fluidity that we care about that really represents what what we should actually be thinking about and then responsive tools finally caught up to to actually being able to to help people build this way. I think yeah. that we're still in that place with design systems where we are sort of designing for ourselves and I think we're on the cusp of starting to think more about that consumer. Yeah, definitely. You know, one last thing on the token front. You know, I, I did want to talk about this idea of of tokens as content and as tokens as localization. Because I think this is a really interesting place where there's another kind of blind spot in design systems. I've only really talked to a handful of people that really think about the content role inside of their design system implementation, where, you know, you think about that as it relates to microcopy, you think about that as it relates to uh, headline text, and a few other key things. I mean, assets sometimes. Um, but I really do view this as a pretty underserved part of the design system landscape. And it also is weird because it very quickly starts to step on the toes of traditional CMS roles. Mm. Um, and I wanted to understand more about your experience with this because, you know, you run into a lot of places that are looking at at um, stretching the boundaries of how all this stuff works in a browser. And I think it's interesting to talk about that from a content perspective for a minute.
1: Nice. Yeah, I like the content perspective as well um, because it does. Like localization almost felt like an abstraction into a design system. Every time we would convert an app, essentially every string became um, an abstracted value that you requested, almost as if it was a color from a token. Um, And yeah, the way that that competes with a CMS, I guess... A lot of our implementations, at least that I've been working on, are are hand done. Well, we'll hire someone to go write all the alternative strings, and then just trust them that it's all good. Um, And then the other thing I wanted to add too is like, you know, the UX writing is a role, and this is mission critical that the the way that you talk about how to build the UI and that your UI has a consistent voice. This is the same purpose of colors and spacing is you want a consistent thing. You want a consistent sort of vibe or, or just like, right, there's like an emotional result that comes from your colors, your spacing and your voice. I think it makes sense to put voice into this. Um, but yeah, how would that compete with the CMS? That is something that sounds like the technology teams would have to to work out,
0: huh? Right. And design systems are largely tied to CMS platforms anyway. I mean, whether you're using Gatsby or you're using WordPress, it, it doesn't really matter. You still need something that ultimately like serves as that content store and serves as that destination for that HTML and CSS. And there's all sorts of, um, bizarre and wonderful implementations of yeah. of those abstractions in your, your endpoints like that. But when it comes to content specifically, the design system has been traditionally, I don't know if we have traditions being, you know, a, a younger concept, um, has traditionally been like pretty hands off, right? Like, oh, yo, if that's text on a page, like you all manage, you all manage that. Like, it's yeah. uh, not my role. Um, my role is 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 tokens and components. And the most of my get the, to is like
1: your brand slogan is like somewhere right. found in there. Yeah.
0: So when you think about that application of voice and tone and all of these other ways of thinking about how tokens apply to values, apply to principles, apply to all of these things that at a pretty low level inside of the content structure. I-, I wonder what an implementation looks like.
1: Yeah, and this reminds me of, again, like, yeah, functional programming, like what happens when all of your peer functions are done? You know, all the computation of your application is ready to go, what's next? And that's where you start to create these you, you compose and orchestrate, and you and you start to create the relationships between these that are unique for that user goal. So I think what would happen is you would start to okay. So what are the user tasks that we need to handle? And you start looking at your your list of tools and your list of like um, colors and things that are coming from your system. And you you go to town and you start to create all the like layouts and the glue that put these things mm-hmm. and make them into a meaningful um, representation and. I always start from a user journey, but maybe that's not where everyone's starting. And yeah, I think it looks like a composition scenario where you might think of it like Legos, um, but there's still a lot of like, you're going to have to bring like little Lego pieces to connect the big ones together. Um, so I assume it's somewhere in between, yeah, in that little realm there.
0: Yeah. If you if you were to stretch it a little bit, I think that, that the way I envision it is you think about a, a multinational global product. And you think about the things that they say that are core to their brand and core to who they are as text. Sure, slogans in there. I think that, um, you know, baseline product description, like some microcopy is in there. Um, but all of that ultimately adds up to dozens and dozens of things yeah. that are sort of like the way that we use words or use imagery or use uh, audio or video to deliver our message. So all the different content mediums, when you have those baseline ideas of what those are, and then what you can do is you could put them into a localization context where like, you know, websites in Vietnam or websites in Japan or websites in Saudi Arabia look very different than websites in the United States. And so would it be possible to have some, some higher order token that was governing the way that the website appeared in Japan relative to the way that the website appeared in the United States that still includes that same copy and that same microcopy localized in Japanese, but also then applies a different aesthetic to the overall brand.
1: Yeah. I think what that does is it makes the front end developers or just the team that's building interfaces um, need to know less. Like it's been annoying for many years. It's like, okay, marketing team, I need keywords for my page I also need a description in the (laughs) metadata. Oh, by the way, you forgot this. But it's like as a front-end developer, I was like bombarded with implementation details that I really shouldn't have to deal with, like little text edits in the intro paragraph or, oh, everyone wants to bike shed over the heading copy. Like in this world where everything's a token, the front-end developer references a value and walks away. They're like, I don't care what the color is. I also don't care what we say here. I care that whatever it says can have a nice layout. So I'll make sure I pick the right layout. It can handle a variation of, of copy, um, right? So they get to make these like, I guess, higher level decisions because they've they've taken all the really low level values and pushed them so far up the chain and even into a place where the right person can go make the change and it just trickles down. Um, so yeah, I think that's the future.
0: Uh, that's a really interesting idea, right? Because like you know, front-end developers spend so much time with product managers or marketing managers or or depending on, you know, if you're on Zeppelin
1: files, online. copying and pasting just random stuff out of there.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so like, let's stop doing that and let's create tokens for that content.
1: And just, yeah, you, yeah, you, the whole power is you take it, make it into a token. And now you have a place that everyone should go talk about it and facilitate the conversation now here. Um, again, higher level. So yeah, push it higher level and bring more people in. I think that's one of the other goals that can kind of be lost in a design system is bringing more folks into the fold. Um, but yeah, that's another topic. We can get on that one later.
0: No, I, but I do like the idea of of like giving a marketing user or giving a product owner a login to your design system and let them edit it. And yeah. I think that 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 editorial experience is, again, another user need that I don't think is necessarily well served by the majority of design systems that are out there right now. So okay. we have to think as, as like this is a place where as, as design system practitioners, we have to think about our own tools again. Um, but if we can provide a great experience for those people that they can understand how they affect change through the systems process by adding copy or adding content, that suddenly becomes a huge value add for that team as well.
1: Yeah. I think the one downside of this future is um, that being weird is harder. Um, And that's (laughs) a downside to me. You know, like (laughs) I like it when things are weird, um, but the whole goal of a design system is to not be weird. And so that's a natural sort of like battle that happens as you normalize is that people will want to still be weird in it. And then that becomes much harder, um, which is I think that it's about...
0: But but that that becomes then like this weird organizational challenge. I don't know. We'll dive into that in a little bit. Yeah, I, that is I a totally weird. Organi- agree. Like, I agree. Like let's 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 definitely come back to that though, because there is this, this whole idea of like creative constraint that exists within design systems that I think is worthwhile to actually like spend a little time talking about.
1: Cool. Yeah, I think so too.
0: So the last last thing on this token front, uh, tokens is layout. Like talk to me about slots. Talk to me about the way that we think about about not just like. You know, color systems and semantic palettes and, and you know, typography systems and stuff like that. Let's actually talk about like layout here. When we actually talk about this idea of how we construct uh, a component, do we actually need this idea of a component or are we just talking about a collection of, of design tokens?
1: This is such a hot one and a really hard one. Um, like layout, I'm still trying to find patterns in what I build using flex and grid. I'm looking for these things that I could tokenize or I could abstract because most of the layout work that I've seen get put into a design system becomes very um, well and naturally very opinionated. Mm -hmm. And you have to sort of like, okay, so one strategy is to use CSS grid where a parent grid creates, you know, boxes with names and then it Places children inside, so children have no decision in this. They they get put in there by developer, and they say, "Here's a header, here's a footer, and here's this thing inside of this layout." And the layout goes, "I see children that I'm aware of, and they go here." Um, And then it's all contained in the parent layout. So the parent layout owns the names of these slots and sections and puts things inside. But there's another mentality here, which is like, what if a child wants to claim a space? Um, because you want the component to own mm. all of its own stuff. So what about the child component owning its space in that parent component? Should it know about those names? And so th- I think those that's like one scenario of like a very defined layout. But there's other ones that are very repeat oriented where you're just like, I- I'm going to have N number of things in here. I don't really know. And I don't really want to care. I just want like direct. I call it spacing and flow. I'm like I want to go right. this direction with this spacing. And I find I use those all the time, but they're, I don't know how you would abstract that into a layout component because it's like two things of CSS. I mean, it's not like I don't know how to put the CSS in there, but it's more like, how do you give these things names? Like, naming layouts seems to be a huge problem in design systems. Like, everyone's <laughs> like, there's these four and they look like this. And you're like, so how do we talk about them? <laughs> like,
0: well, right, right. I don't know. All right, I think it is back to names are hard. Um... And I think it also is back to like, like, uh, so so one of the things that I, that you said that I think that that is really interesting is this idea that some of the stuff that you see absolutely could be included in a design system, and it's not that I want to like lower our bar for what goes into a design system, right? I think that maybe thirty percent of layout is design system layout. I don't think it needs to necessarily be an all or nothing scenario, and you maybe just have a lot more snowflakes, but you know that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that like uh, the flow idea that you had, right? Of of like, couldn't you just define flow as a token? Like, wouldn't that work? Like, flow right, and have that automatically like build that that ad nauseum repeating in a columnar layout forever? Yeah. So you could attack it from both angles, right? And and like that flow right becomes a much more lower level again, like pure functional kind of idea behind what a, a token would be. Yeah. But um. I think that if we try to basically say, like, we're going to draw all the boxes ahead of time and then just fit stuff into the boxes, I think that there's a a very constrained set of things that that's going to work for.
1: Yes, that's what I was going to get to next is that, you know, when you, I feel like whenever you look at a website or you look at a design or a layout, you're like, there's only like three layouts in here. Look, there's one column there and there's like that one's next to that one. And then you go build it, you're like, no, there's 40 different layouts in here. There's 40. (laughs) (laughs) The only reason it looks simple is because, well, that's the whole point of design is to take something naturally complex and make it simple. So, yeah, there's a yeah, tension exactly there too. exactly as simple
0: as it needs to be and no more.
1: Yeah. And I like that you brought up the, the kind of constraint focus of this because we're going to get into some more of that stuff later. Um, but, yeah, there's a an intrinsic value that your content brings that if you go pick a layout first and you put stuff in it, you're going to get the CSS is awesome result. And then you're going to tell yourself that CSS is not awesome because your word awesome is busting out of your box, right? And so <laughs> this, is, this is like a really like, hard thing the web is still struggling with. Is like, do I create the box and drop stuff in it or do I like intrinsically look at the box's value and just corral it? Um, and so like when I do layout, I'm often thinking of it like I'm a shepherd and these are just a bunch of sheep and they're sheep that could change size at any time, you know? And I'm just like, I'm going to give you generically good constraints to handle this thing. Um, right. And so, yeah, I'm still struggling at how to codify layouts into design systems without sort of losing a lot of the fluidity and intrinsic like safe layout nature of the web like the layout of the web is all naturally safe and a lot of these design system layouts um in order to facilitate control and give maybe you know type feedback as they're typing in an editor they they lose that and they go into a more constricted and so it's just so hard there's so much tension between uh, some of these things sometimes
0: yeah absolutely i i think that like there is a frontier here, and And I think that whoever solves this problem is going to make a huge boon to the entire like low code no code movement, because I view this as like one of the major constraints on on those applications as well, right? is this is where a lot of like the craftsmanship of the web comes in, right? I think that that performance is one area, like why AI generated code still is not not ready for a major production website. Um, is because, like, you know, milliseconds matter. Um, yeah. And I think that the second side of it is is that, like, layout still matters. And layout's actually really hard. And there's a very difficult hierarchical system to break down that craft into something that is more repeatable. And I think that, like, beyond defining those high-level constraints, it's very difficult to have, like, some AI-driven system draw the boxes on the page for you.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the more you abstract your layouts into and to provide, you know, let's say you have 20 different layouts and they have 15 different subtokens that can sort of tweak it and customize it. What you've done is moved all of the work um, into understanding the system that you've created and out of being able to be empowered with whatever CSS had available. Um, And then we have to talk about, these layouts normally with a token, we're creating a token and making it higher level so that it can be distributed across ecosystems healthily. Like yeah, right? and
0: kaboom with kaboom. This, right? Like how
1: do you, okay? So great. <laughs> so you made a flexbox layout uh, and a grid layout in your design system. How does Android consume that? Okay. Hey, hey. Are you auto laying out? I mean, you totally could, and that would be super rad. But um, wow, the complexity starts to skyrocket as you're like, do I share these across ecosystems, man? Um, And this is almost where it's just like a side tangent. I've heard things go into um, product primitives. So where like, instead of you have a token, you actually have a whole chunk of UI. It's like a finished little micro experience. And that's what you distribute. And it's already got everything built in. And you basically take even less customization from the developer out and you just give them this whole chunk. Um,
0: No, let's talk about that for a second. Because I actually think this is a really interesting, like, pattern-based approach that is starting to really resonate with lots of people where you know these like we've just decided as an industry to put micro in front of everything for some reason (laughs) these like micro front ends right yeah exactly like micro machines everybody grew up in the 80s we all had like you know uh 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 micro machines race cars and we've just carried that into our our journey in the web um (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, like when you think about these encapsulated, reusable, like whole experiences. First time I ran into this was I was talking to to um, this guy, Steven, uh, that that works at a, a big media company. And, you know, they have like lots of different networks that all exist within the same media umbrella. And each one of them had independently developed a way of doing a show reel. And so the the reality is, is like, you know, having dozens of different showreel applications as as these sort of like micro apps, micro front ends inside of of these different channel applications didn't make any sense. It made sense for them as a company to build this front end that could then be reusable across any experience that, that actually like delivers the whole damn thing. Right. Like it is not just like here's some components that you can remix and mix together. This is your showreel experience go drop this where you want to in your, in your app experience.
1: Yep. And what's really crucial about that is acknowledging what is your app's value? Like what is your product good at? And in this case, apparently it's good at creating a showreel. Um, yep. and so go make that up like a thing, like that's a product component. It's like, this is very custom for us. This is like, what makes us unique is this thing. And you can go hand that around and let that distribute. And it's always the same. I think those are really healthy outlooks and implementation details, yeah.
0: And I think that it's like going to be something that continues to be a major trend is people don't want to think about a lot of the low-level experiences, and they also want to control those really higher-level experiences, right? People probably don't need to rebuild a reset password flow. I was just going to say,
1: auth auth is a perfect one. Like, no one wants, okay, hey, I've got the design system. I have inputs and colors and cards. (laughs) You're like, oh, yeah, well, thanks. A week later, I'll have a login form. Great. Uh, As opposed to, let's just go get the login component, and it will pop over in a modal, does everything it needs to, and writes a cookie or a session thing, and it's out of your way, right? It's like a service. It makes the component into a service. It's really cool. Exactly.
0: Yeah, no, this is actually a really interesting place because, yeah, I think I think login auth is, is absolutely because, like, nobody in their right mind ever really wants to write another login system. Yet, how many, um,
1: like, unique bespoke login pages have you been to? You're just like, ah, oh, some developer did it again?
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm convinced that, that uh, people only like writing 404 pages because they like to be weird in a context that not many users should ever see. Uh, <laughs> nice. But... But any of these types of, like, really rote experiences that aren't particularly like, dynamic, aren't particularly interesting, and you're never going to, like, change somebody's mind about your app by having a really awesome login experience. Um, <laughs> you can change it by having a really bad one, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, I don't see that as a differentiator. Like, people are building these as patterns into their design systems. And they're basically saying, like, here's the whole damn thing. Here's, here's login. Like, yeah. don't worry about login anymore. Here's showreel. But Showreel is a very interesting counter example, like on the opposite end of that continuum, where you actually have something that is now like a higher order function inside of the app that, like you said, it's like well known for and that needs to work. And that requires a very high degree of control inside of of an application as opposed to, you know, a compliance experience like a CCPA, like we're collecting your data or GDPR, like do you authorize us to use cookies experience?
1: Yeah, and yeah, it comes down to, oh man. this is like another one of the, here's one of my favorite personal thoughts about design systems. And this is playing into it because I think there's a range of design systems uh, that you're oriented towards. Like, again, if you think of Legos, um, what we've just described is having this product primitive, this experience that is created and can be carried around and just placed somewhere. This is like a Lego that you went and got. That's like a castle. It's pre-built. It's all one piece. Now, the bottom of exactly. it, it can connect into any other Lego pieces. But really, there's no changing this castle. And that castle is good for a, a super-duper beginner that doesn't know anything about Legos, as well as someone who wants to build a kingdom. They can go start with your castle. Um, but there's that's essentially the range that we have here. It's like you can either give someone bricks, like, hey, this is the bricks of our kingdom. Enjoy building a castle, <laughs> right? Or here's a castle uh, with a carriage, um, and But the question is always like, how much do you allow someone to customize the castle? And it becomes this, you become somewhere in this scale and your design system. Like, did you make really opinionated, easy to move around components? Or did you try to empower everyone and make a system with so many small atomic you know, design system pieces that they could go build anything and look like in their family, but they're now in a choice overload scenario and they feel numbed and can't build anything. Or it takes so much expertise about Legos to actually build a castle. You're like, I'm not a Lego professional and I don't have 10 hours to build a castle. So where was the one in between for me? And yeah, it's always really important to know who your design system's for, who's consuming it. and, And yeah, where on the scale do you want to be? And I don't even yeah, I don't know what the right spot is on this yet.
0: I don't think it. I don't think anybody does, and I think it is kind of somewhat unique to the implementation. But one of the things I love about mm. this whole thread of communication is where like, where we started was around this idea of like what are tokens at the lowest level? It's like these key value pairs. Moving into like these more complex things. Moving into like some future looking things about you know what what stuff like like back end the front end type things we can do. Moving into stuff that like. Maybe, maybe not. This is good for like layout and, and all that. And I love like how we basically took this this kind of like really basic concept and showed how powerful it is and and also gave us sort of a marker as to where this community is at on that continuum. And I think that marker is really indicative of your, your castle kingdom uh, bricks uh, uh, metaphor of, you know, we're somewhere in between bricks and castles right now. Yeah. And and we're having a really hard time deciding if we need more bricks or more castles. Yeah, (laughs) Um, because there are people there are people that really want the bricks and there are people that really want the kingdom. Um, And so so I think that it is uh, uh, incumbent upon us to, to keep in mind that, you know, where we're at in in a design system landscape is we've built all these really incredible tools for design system practitioners thinking about the people that that have to then go make something out of those like we need to basically have that conversation with them of like do you need bricks or do you need castles and how do these things all line up together
1: yeah and yeah i love that it's all coming coming down to services right you're turning all of your tokens into a service um, and just the service mentality is i think really healthy i wanted to briefly talk about a content that i don't think is a good token at all and that's alt text alt text okay because if you try to like, like yeah, if you tried to alt text like a image, uh, if this happens in a CMS too. What did you alt it for? You don't know its usage yet. Like if it's a picture mm-hmm. of a car on a road, um, you your alt text would be like "car on a road." But someone uses it because they wanted the alt to say like, um, "car is appearing to drive off into the horizon onto new endeavors." Right? You're like, that's why I used the image was to support this quest of new endeavors on this page right but the um alt came from the design system and wow it just really missed the mark i don't know how to solve this but yeah well,
0: like think about it, like like xkcd right like half the fun of xkcd is reading the alt text for the silly little comic right uh because <laughs> that's where like the real jokes are um i did not know those are uh,
1: in there and now i'm gonna have to go read oh, them all
0: dude you're gonna have to go read like 2,000 comics again now because oh, no. like the alt text is brilliant every single time um No. So, so the idea of, of like that expression of intent and how that intent actually ends up showing up and being aligned with the, the use. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard problem, right? Like, um, I think that there are some things that still, I I get, this gets back to me, like, like we live in, in a land of tokens and components and, and users live in a land of pages and those pages have context and we cannot be aware of every possible context on every single page. And so, you know, what are the things that we still need to do at that page level? Because we're we're taking those away, right? Like we're trying to erode that like individual implementation problem.
1: Yep. Taking a lot of the human out of it. Yeah. But
0: are there any things yeah. that stick to that?
1: Nope. Really good call. Um, And I don't really know where the right place is for it to land. All I know is that, that it's a good indicator that d- abstraction... I mean, we see this in application development anyway. It's like as much as we want to abstract things away, there's still work to get done and still complex work to get done and thoughtful work, not just doing the work, but like a human needed to use it and then use it again and go, oh, this is the right solution. Exactly. And so, yeah, there's still a human uh, that builds with the design system, but sometimes it seems like, yeah, we want to make design systems for AI that can then just like make all these decisions. And I'm like, uh, to me that means people are going to be making houses that look like they came from a factory be like ah you know like you're driving down the street right now and like there's all this construction happening they build those like cookie cutter houses you're going to be like ah oh, look that house was built with a design system and ai it just looks like it because um there's not enough human there um I don't know. This is just a fun part that
0: I like. No, about. I think this is great because we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, like we'll talk about like why design system why design systems equate to fascism. I think that that's a, a perfect, <laughs> a, a perfect segue into where we go from here. So we ended on a note of, of fascism, um, which I think is somewhat appropriate because there is this kind of like reflexive idea of what a design system is. A design system is control. A design system is rules. Uh, design system is is uh you know boxes of ticky tacky um and i think that that it can be but i think that like that's if you if you think about like this sort of Anne Randian universe of how a design system actually gets applied to to a group of people i think that there is like the star trek application of this as well where we all get along wonderfully and are peaceful and all of the base uh, uh needs of of humanity are met. And so we have to spend time gardening and making art. Um I want to live in that design system world, not in the Ann Randian one. Um yeah. so how do we get there, Adam? Tell me tell me about like how do we make this not about fascist control and more about empowerment of the people that consume it.
1: Mm, good call, because yeah, the way that the design system is giving you power is through its rules. So how do you navigate the tension of of this desire to create more rules in order to create more empowerment? I think it comes down to a couple things. The first one is going to be there's just new new types of programming coming. Um, right we've already kind of talked about like what is this future where well it's like the text values inside of a dom node just aren't owned by you anymore as a front-end developer the text is going to come from somewhere else and as we move into this future where everything's abstracted and everything is um let's see the uh the original question i keep like losing sight of original questions as i try to weave and come back um
0: yeah. So how do we how do we push back against fascism and make it so that design systems are empowering? How do we all live in Star Trek and not uh uh Mad Max?
1: Right. Yeah. This is like how do I write within TypeScript but not feel like my arms are in um that are tied behind my back? I think it, so. Yeah. It comes down to you gotta. There's a new type of programming and there's going to be a mentality shift. I think you just have to be open minded. Like I think some of the best artists in the world um, find. Massively impressive, creative ways to express within side of constrained systems. So, for example, there's phenomenal art where someone ha- has drawn on Starbucks cups, and then they stack them together and they make something beautiful. Mm-hmm. You ask a thousand different artists, and you say, "Hey, I'm um, here's my little design system. It's Starbucks cups and a black sharpie," and they go, "I can make nothing with that." <laughs> and then you have right, the same right. person that goes look at what i made with it and you go mind blown this is gorgeous like how did you create something gorgeous with that so i think what we're going to get to is this the constraints themselves in this case um are empowering and they are limiting but that that expression and the place that you find inside of there i think is going to be new and so i'm going to just kind of throw that down
0: there on the table at least it's like the initial starter thought no i think it's great i think that like like Design systems can be about like one person or one small subset of people pushing constraints on a much broader set of people, or it can feel a lot more collaborative, I feel like also. Right. And, and I think that that the initial gut reaction, that reflexive idea that comes to mind, uh, uh, if you own a piece of, of that rule set, that's being pushed on you, it's somehow easier to, to accept. And then I also think that like, yeah, because things are different than the way that you've done them before does not necessarily make them worse or better. It just makes them different. And so people do need to, to think about like what a new canvas looks like, what a new set of tooling looks like, what a new way of thinking about, about design looks like. And I think for the most part, this is a good thing, right? Because you're taking a lot of, of stuff that designers do and developers do Like, let me go, you know, code a table layout or let me design a sticker sheet of buttons. And you're basically saying, like, you know, maybe that's not the work that is the most valuable to you. Maybe that work would be uh, better represented by just a a set of constraints and let people that are actually doing implementation uh, work within those set of constraints.
1: Yeah, that was one of my questions I was going to ask is, like, you know, what did you want to do as a front end developer anyway? Did you want to juggle hex codes and copy strings that you know like to me that's one of my least favorite things to do is go change copy again because the person was unhappy with the text and then it's like wow this is not really what i wanted my life as a front-end developer to be i didn't want to go make incisions of text notes in the dom I i liked this other side of things and so i think what a lot of this can do with the right mentality is yeah open up to the role that you wanted the whole time or help you move into the next phase of your role because yeah if your product is new you're not going to go jump straight into a design system likely you're going to want to sort of kind of discover that over time or start to abstract as things get crazy so like a designer should start with a sticker sheet if everything's in a rough draft state and there is no product but as the product becomes more stable y'all should start to align on the thing that is closer to reality as as the world that and the product that you're working on is now real So there's a Mm -hmm. lot having to do with phases here. Um, And then which phase is your product in and which phase is your role in? Um, Because maybe you're front of the front and now you want to be back of the front. Or maybe you were back of the front, but the whole data mesh is done and and it's just in maintenance mode and you want to go back into the front end. I think your role is just kind of changing with the product as the product is evolving and becoming more mature. There's like a maturity and a phase um, relationship here that kind of, impacts whether or not this stuff feels constraining or not. Um, yeah.
0: No, I, I think also like, you know, what sparked sort of a, a thought in my head when you were talking through that is this idea of the people that are able to build these systems most appropriately are going to be the ones that, that watch this massive launch and, and evolution in their own career. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're able to get on board with this kind of thinking to take advantage of it, to to shape it for the organization and to make it better, Like that's just not a better way of working. That's also like a really great career move. Um, And I think where people are at is they're just, they're just trying to understand exactly like how they get there. I think there's some trepidation and some nervousness about like what a design system implementation looks like. Lots of these things fail. Lots of them fail publicly. Um, And that, that is a scary thing to think about, but there is like this idea of if I'm able to make this work for my organization and make it work for my team, What's good for for me in terms of my day-to-day, what's good for the company in terms of its overall ROI of this system is going to be a great move for my career and how I go about thinking about, you know, being a creative director, being, you know, head of front-end engineering or any number of other things that you would want in an organization.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: I think that also one of the things that we talk about when we talk about design systems is like, Like what tools do you throw away, right? So if I'm a a company or a dev team or whatever, and I'm investing in this design system, what does it replace? And I think that there's a lot of interesting conversation around this because there's also this rush to tools, right? Like, and I'm first to admit, we're one of them um, where we're trying to find this place that is between design and development that represents a more practical, scalable, efficient way of building really great applications, Um, and you see folks like, like Figma doing that on, on very much the design side of things. And you see, you know, uh, uh, folks like storybook doing that very much on the developer side of things. Um, and so, you know, are, are we talking about the end to canvas tools? Are we talking about the end to handoff tools? Are we talking about the end of prototyping? Um, I think that all of those are obviously like, like intentionally kind of provocative things to say, but Mm -hmm if you're building something new, typically that means that something else is getting replaced. What do you see that as in this ecosystem?
1: That's a fun, fun content setup. I'm reflecting to like, my son is learning how to just draw right now. And there's so many similarities I I see to being a designer. So like there's these sticker books and um, right. And we have sticker sheets that designers use. And I'm watching my son basically use the simplest way that he could to design Uh, which is with stickers and putting them on a page. And the page already has like layouts done. And He's basically putting eyes on the eyes and stuff like that. He's still doing it wrong. And I'm watching him do it wrong. And I'm like, this is just like adults. Adults do the same thing. Like just because you had a sticker sheet with a bunch of pre-made stuff does not make the next task that much easier, honestly. Like if you're not a good designer and you don't know how to like create an experience, then having all these really nice stickers doesn't actually do you much good. So, yeah, we can now, rush to tooling. Oh, go
0: ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, all of a sudden, there's an eyeball sticker on, like, on like a, a toad leg. And you're just like, wait a minute. It's supposed to go on in the, the toad eye. Right. And, yeah, supposed to. Like, what is supposed to?
1: And how is the design set? Right. Like, right so, a Figma file can't d- decide supposed to. All Figma files can do is have, like, a stateful a sticker. Um, And I am not don't mean to, like, downsize it because I think it's really powerful still what it can do. But, yeah, we have a lot of things competing for this, like optimization of this future flow where I think what people have in their mind is a vision of of building applications that's much simpler than reality. Sorry, another metaphor. Um, working with wood. If you've ever like used something made of wood, you're like, this is simple. Do you see it? It's just a couple screws here and they put it into there and it's now it's a bench over here. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to go make my own bench. And 10 hours later, you're like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> Little decisions became really important, you know like I hadn't right, even right. considered, and I think that like design systems and tooling have this mentality where like it's so easy to write a marketing page that's like and much better look at this workflow and has like one kind of key thing, um, but it doesn't necessarily it's, it creates new jobs and new trade offs and new things, and so that's like all of this stuff is new and doesn't necessarily uh always make your work less sometimes okay so here's something about a design system i think design systems in a lot of ways create more work um in an effort to reduce work um, mm. which is a natural tension so again lots of tensions i like looking I, at tensions i think they're fun
0: i remember when we first met that was that was basically your opener to me and i was like ah i'm gonna talk to this guy for two hours about
1: and then <laughs> it got into kubernetes
0: um, yeah <laughs> So anyway, I mean, I think that that um, you know, it's a good point, right? And, and I don't think that the role of any one of these tools goes away so much as it it changes. I, I don't think for yeah. example, the design systems are going to replace canvas tools. Um, you are yeah, always going to need that that space where you take that idea cloud and you give it some first form, even if it's still like like just a bunch of like clouds in a box, like it's still the first expression of intention. And I, I particularly love the words expression of intention because I think that that's fundamentally what design is all about. Um, and the medium that that takes, I think, is going to change. I think that there is going to be less expression of intention inside of synthetic tools and more expression of intention in actual code. Now, whether or not that ends up being production code, I think that that is, is, um, remains to be seen. But I think that what you're going to see is you're going to see stuff come out of a Figma style landscape or a a canvas tool style landscape into a medium that it's destined for much more rapidly, because that's where you're actually going to be able to take advantage of the work that you've done in a design system to then assemble an application.
1: Yeah, as much as we want to think that the expressive box, you know, canvas art layout is going to go away or that prototyping is gone, I think that it's again rooted in this assumption that things are easy. Um, I have been thinking about this recently, kind of like the example with the wood is like things are only as complex as the amount of layers you've taught yourself to see. And so, you know, you have to bounce out into the high level, looking at the design system and what its goals are, and then all the way down into like using it and see that it's always going to have these decisions points where, yeah, we can go express our intent, which I think is a really healthy thing to do. And that that should be freedom of expression is very mm. different than the systems implementation, and I like I like expression as a sort of forefront, and it's almost like design led product companies because they're expression led instead of systems led. To me, that just makes them more human oriented, uh, and I like that we continue to know that this stuff is all for humans. Like we could abstract ourselves away into something unusable, but as long as we have like. We have to have tools that allow expression that's devoid of the implementation details that basically go tell the implementation details how to behave. There's like, Mm -hmm. again, another tension there, right? Where like somebody has to be pushing the bounds or else nothing ever progresses and it only just becomes more secure and you know like a firmer application or whatever
0: well I, i think there's even tension there like you're you're totally right there's lots of places for this right like the tension between design and development and who owns the source of truth the tension between um you know these these um i guess the authenticity of expression versus the the systematized nature of it and the systematized application of it um i think that even at at some of the more low levels the idea of like what is an expression tool versus what is a component tool um and thinking about uh uh the constraints in browsers the constraints in in how those are reflective like you know i'm sure you deal with this very frequently given given your role um you know uh, canvas tools express express websites in a certain way that may not actually align to how a web browser interprets html and css um yeah, that's what we mean when we say synthetic, right? Is it's sort of
1: something trying to bridge a gap, and by bridging a gap, it has now become uncanny. It's not either the, you know, the vertical stack like you thought it was, uh, in your design tool and in the end environment. It's there's something, something off, and those become, those are really hard moments for me to see too, because I, I look at a lot of these component based design tools which have really strong goals. They're they want you and they want designers and folks to come in and orchestrate and tie these things together. Cause it sounds like fun. Like who doesn't want to be like, Oh, I'll drop that in there drop that in there and connect the wires up. But that design task is so dramatically different than the one with stickers. Um, and so I empathize with both sides of this. I'm like, who are component design tools really for? Because I Mm -hmm. see a lot of, React developers are just developers that like building components, want to go build a component design tool. They're like, and then they're like, I understand every little bit of it. And we're like, yo, you made it. And they're all right, your right. components. You, you know every property on them by heart pretty much before you even got into the tool that creates new paradigms. And so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really trying to just be an observer here. Like, where are designers moving towards? Like, what do they, because they jumped on the Sketch and Figma component tree really fast right there was a strong desire to sort of dry up their work inside of their design tools but the more that they do systems work it's like the most systems work i've seen anyone do is in axure in terms of like designers designers would spend so much time building axure prototypes or framer prototypes like original framer but not since then I've almost seen an incline in, de- in component tools that could do all this stuff and a decline in designers caring. Like, and I'm just trying to soak it up. Like what did we do wrong? Um, because the goal was to give designers more stuff to work with. And yet they, they're not there. They're like pushed out. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I, I think there's like a, again, kind of back to that tension and that wrestling for control. And um It was funny when we were first like before we were knapsack, when we were still an agency, um, one of the early conversations I had with my co-founder was like, "Okay, so so like we're a, a company that builds big custom design systems for large enterprises. Like, what are the things that we're going to face that are going to be the hardest challenges? And he said, like, point blank, the thing that I see being super, super difficult here is Explaining to the organization who's, who controls the, your dom. Like, is that like wrestling of control between design and development, something that is ultimately going to lead to better collaboration, or is it just going to lead to like this resistance and conflict? And whenever you talk about design systems, like the, the implication is synonymous. Like it is now both design and development. I think that that's pretty established science at this point, but who ultimately controls the changes to that design system is I think still this dichotomy that hasn't quite reached like a state of harmony around organizations. And, you know, we're bleeding into the governance conversation a little bit here, but the idea of, of if I'm a designer, am I the one that controls our palette for, for our application or do the developers control that? And that's a very simple but very pointed question that drives it exactly this tension, because I think that if you asked a head of design, they would say like, absolutely, I do. But I think if you ask like a, a senior front end engineer, they would be like, "Absolutely, I do." Yeah, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, the the real answer is kind of like a bit of both. But I don't think that organizations yeah. are well equipped to draw those those lines, and it doesn't fit neatly into a racy chart. It definitely doesn't. Yeah, I love the way you painted that because. Um, the
1: answer isn't clear. It's just so fuzzy of who owns it. And yeah, you have folks who talk about it. And this is almost like sort of like org trees in general. Like all the people talk about it, and then one person puts the bolt into the plane. You know, like who owned? I get. I, yeah, I don't know. And does it really matter? It was. I guess the story is that you all worked together. So, um, how do you facilitate and keep a history of that? I guess yeah. It's like how do you keep track of where the decision really came from? Um and that's just a whole
0: other topic isn't it <laughs> yeah i mean i think it isn't it isn't i think that this is also like kind of related to tooling right uh, and and it's related to for example what abstract was trying to solve with design right so I'm abstract just... was like like yo we need to have like real version control it's gift for designers yeah i made yeah. my team do it i was like we're on abstract now <laughs> no and it's a great it's a great idea right because i think that, that then you start to think about about a lot of the things that that I think that design teams haven't you know for whatever reason have not chosen uh to value as a part of of uh the creative process and and that forces collaboration on the developer side of things and I think that that you know force may be too strong of a word there is this this collective need to have better collaboration between these cross-functional teams and it's not just developers and designers there's content, there's marketing, there's product, there's yeah. all these other audiences that we talked about yeah. beforehand. And, and that giant bucket of other is potentially more important than the designer developer collaboration. It's just, that's what's in focus. Yep. Yeah. And so when we think about that and we think about the, the tools and the ways that, that tooling supports that, I think that, that code tools for design systems are going to have some gravity to them. And it is going to start to pull things into that medium where non-technical contributors can manipulate production code to see what the results of that are. And it, whether or not they're able to publish an app out of that is, is kind of irrelevant. Like mm-hmm. what matters is that they're able to like touch the thing. And it's not just like an approximation of the thing. It is the thing. That's that why Storybook is,
1: has been really successful, right? As you're touching the thing, this isn't the synthetic version of the thing. It's the thing in isolation, right? With right. all of its sort of, well, if someone's defined it right, that has all the levers and buttons that you can push to go see how it does when things do this, yeah.
0: Yeah, but I, I think that even Storybook suffers from from a fairly serious drawback of being an artifact of, of a build process, right? And so like, yeah, you're looking at what exists mm-hmm. in your build, but it's not the place where new experimentation really happens. Yes. Yes. Nice. And I think that that creative process and moving some of that creative process into the design system is a pretty essential moment in, in our tooling and our maturity. And I do think that that maybe takes away from some of the prototyping tools. But honestly, like, um, you know, those have been a really hard nut to crack, I think, for design and dev teams for a very long time. So yeah. I don't know if design systems replace prototyping, but I think that it's definitely a place where a lot of the basic experimentation for UI can and likely will happen.
1: I think that's a nice way to position it because that's where I've seen them be the strongest. Like there's a lot of component-based tools that will consume a design system. And you're right. They seem to, yeah, their, their pitching will, will create production code. And that's always where I'm like, why? Why? I mean, sure. I mean, I know why. But, like, when I go look at it, I'm like, that's no developer is going to want to inherit that. You had to abstract four times to get that outputted right, and it shows. And now I don't want it. So, why not? No, wait. wait as- I,
0: I want to I hit that really, really, because I think is an absolutely essential point, right? Is, like, it needs to be the code you wrote. It can't be somebody else's code. Like, the moment that it's someone else's code, you're introducing a burden onto that developer team. Now, if you have no developer team, like, who cares, right? You might might as well have something. Take what you get. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But if you have a dev team and you're all of a sudden telling them to, like, go take this, like, pre-built set of components or go take this, like, AI-generated code, it's the same problem as, as organizations implement Material. Material is great. I love Material. I think it's awesome and super badass. But almost, you know, within a couple of months of an organization adopting material, they usually are like, oh, man, you know, there's some constraint about material that I don't like or that I wouldn't do because it's not their code. And they now have this upstream dependency for their design system that is actually, like, really hard for them to untangle inside of their organization. And ultimately, like, that's not saying that material is a bad choice. That's saying that, like, if that is going to be the direction you go, you have to understand that that constraint exists.
1: Yeah. Yeah. These prototype. Yeah. So yes, the constraint exists. And you know, like one of the first constraints I immediately think of is I'm like in these prototyping places with reality components, I'm like, there's no session. And if I can't have an auth session, what am I doing in here? It's still synthetic and full of junk, you know, like, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and then you go, okay, well, I'll make a design tool where, you have to sign in your user to go design in a state. <laughs>
0: You're like, no, it's going to do that. That's just,
1: <laughs> I mean, but you could, but then it's like, why don't you just go to your actual application and log in as a test user and just go mess around on there. Um, but yeah, you, oh, there's so many fun things you touched on. Like I had a thought recently, like, and I think I've mentioned this phrase before, but like, Uh, components always want you to think that they they come around and and are just like totally contained uh, you know like like a cereal bar like a protein bar and you just yeah it's just all contained just go pick one up off the table and i'll go put it over there Uh, but the reality is it's like you asked for a banana but you got a gorilla holding a banana that's the object-oriented programming classic phrase you know you wanted the one class but it was subclassed and superclassed or whatever and all of a sudden you got this whole nest i've been thinking that components recently because you said they were all tied up together I think components are all strings and that is actually kind of just an okay way to think about it. That way you're not like a surprised when it has strings mm-hmm. attached to it. And that's something that these design tools can't or shouldn't expose is, and that's what the implementation details are for is the exactly. implementation details are to go codify all the strings because there's so many and they're really annoying. They're really annoying strings to manage and you shouldn't. And and
0: (laughs) and I think this is like a a huge shortcoming, right? Uh, and it was the, the same, same people bitched and moaned about this with, with Twitter bootstrap as they do with, with uh, tailwind today. Right. That like, you know, you have this idea of, I want to have a framework for a thing. And I grab that framework and I get the good with the bad. I like, I get that banana, but there's that gorilla standing there. Right. And like, what am I going to do with a gorilla now? Um, and unless you're willing to go through the complexity of like ever more advanced dependency management, ever crazier webpack configs, uh, yeah. uh, ever crazier per component version management, um, you know, you start to to create a new kind of fragmentation that is potentially just as bad or worse as the old kind of fragmentation you were trying to solve. Yep. Yep.
1: And yeah, design tools. I think you're right. They're best leaning more into prototyping and just be like, get closer to the metal. Use, yep. your, use what your developers have built instead of what y'all have built internally in your design tool. And so that way it's sort of more innocent. And it also comes back to what I think designers like to do, which is be expressive. Developers like building systems and designers like being expressive. And I think that's why a lot of these component-based tools fail is because they're so systems-oriented systems oriented you just lock up a designer so fast. And they're like, I just wanted to go express my taste, right? I have a taste, and I, and I want to go see if I can do it in your tool. And they're like, I spent 20 minutes. I got none of my taste out. So I'm just not going to come back to your tool. And yeah, focusing on it and just dropping it down is a really good idea. I wish more tools would just be like, we're a prototyping component tool. We're not going to output code and claim all this other extraordinary stuff. Um, and keeping it simple could be really, really nice. Anyway, good call.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of an elegance to it, I think, where, you know, the the upstream of your design system, I feel like we're starting to to develop this notion of the things that are upstream of the design system should be stuff like design tools, like content, like marketing uh, copy, like all of those sorts of things should be the inputs into your, your design system. And that data should reside in a place that can populate your components, even if it's just sample data. Um, and and that becomes the basis for how you ultimately construct those experiences in the di- design system. And then the output of that system is is either uh, a package, which I think has its own set of shortcomings that are similar to that you know banana gorilla analogy, or okay. it becomes an API call that you make yeah. at build time and that and that API is returning to a much more specific thing like i could get my banana i could get my banana peel i could get a banana split i could yeah, get exactly. a banana smoothie <laughs> uh, i could get a banana smoothie delivered by a gorilla right
1: i think you're touching <laughs> on kind of like where this future could be then is cuz right we were like kind of confused oh i was confused earlier like how do you facilitate you know delivering a castle and bricks and maybe this is how it is, is your castles are being in a prototyping state. You have a prototyping tool for designers. And so your design system is consuming the API there. So all of the little bricks are getting built ahead of time for a certain set of users. And then another set of users get to comp- like get to consume those to build the end application. So it's almost like by making this design system and you're putting these higher level, you're empowering many different types of users to use these in many different ways. It's like, yeah, your design system should be your consts. Anything Mm -hmm. that's a constant that isn't going to change or that you can easily compute and then it um, should get tucked up into there and it starts to empower these different expressive environments. One is a system's expression and one is just a sort of like, so, okay, so how do we go next step then? is like, what if a designer is in one of these tools and they're building a prototype because they know that it's just sort of that way, but they uh, find a flaw in a color Um, Could that tool push that up somehow and make that easy so that there could be like.
0: I mean, why why couldn't it? Right. Like if you have this idea of of what a color is as a token and and that's something that is a revisionable versionable piece of code. You can build a GUI that allows you to to edit or change that in some some simple way and then push that through whatever review and governance process you want in the background to make that change go live.
1: Yeah. It's just an API hunt. Well, and then you have knapsack. So you could just have designers log in a knapsack and go, you know, nip it at the source. Right.
0: Yeah. That's kind of the idea. Right. Is, is, and I mean, like also, you know, like we integrate with Figma, right. So, so if you even want your designer to be the one that you empower to do that, like go change your brand colors in Figma and then import yeah, those gosh. into Knapsack And that creates a new version of your design tokens and you're off to the races. Nice. Um, I think that, that 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 sort of structured tiering system for, for where change happens, the biggest thing that I want to get to is I want to get to the point that the consumer of the design system, that, that front end developer that is, is down like like working with the package or the API that gets produced is able to make a change and have that alter their app. Um, and have that change flow through all those design system machinations yep um and this is like where we like when we were first envisioning a lot of this like like knapsack app side of things right we're like well okay like what are we kind of like are we more like infrastructure or are we more like a design tool or are we more like a, a collaboration platform like like you know github pages or lassian or, or whatever right and kind of what we settled on in in our initial iterations is we're a lot like github where like you yep. know, we are a landing pad that we have inputs and outputs. And so, you know, like, ultimately, like, you build something out of GitHub and that goes somewhere else. Um, and also, we have a lot of things that come into GitHub from someplace else. And GitHub is the, the convergence machination space. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's collecting all this stuff and controlling it. And that's kind of how we, we thought about our software in the early days. And like that viewpoint has changed and expanded a little bit. Like I think that some of this collaboration tool, especially as it relates to non-technical users is insanely valuable. And that's an important part of getting designers and developers into the same space. Mm-hmm. And then I think that like, there's a little bit of infrastructure here as well, because you need to think about this in terms of APIs, because you don't want everything to come out of a build process. You want a lot of stuff to happen in real time. Um but I think that 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 collective nature is all to say that what you want is you want people to be able to use the tools that they're most familiar with, that they're able to best express themselves with. Yeah. And yeah, you want to have a meeting place for all of those tools where people can agree on what the output of that is going to flow down to your consumer application. Yep. Nice. OK, so, yes. This is,
1: we could say, the sum sum of the goal of a design system is to liberate and create a multiple amount of expressions that can all push and pull from the same sort of source. So the goal is to empower expression, not to limit it. So it can feel that way at first, um, but it, it has a multiplying effect that is outside of yourself. So yeah, maybe in the moment when it's new, it can feel frustrating, but over time it would disappear and enable a multitude of different groups. Yeah, that's a really healthy goal for it to be an expression enabler. Goodbye, Ayn Rand.
0: Hello, Star Trek.
1: (laughs) Yep, very nice. So I guess the fear is, uh, or I guess the the trick is is not over-engineering your design system so that it is so rule-focused that it actually is shackles. Um, So it's that delicate balance of an easy-to-use API, whatever. Um, And that's a whole other conversation about API designs and stuff.
0: Right. Well, then I view a lot of this as like a really big UX problem. Oh, <laughs> like yeah, you know, like what is the experiential nature of this this collector tool that has this collaborative space that has all of these other different aspects of it that also is real time that also works for developers works for design, all these other different audiences? Like it's a it's a, a multifaceted and very complicated UI and UX problem that ultimately becomes. Uh, uh, about trust and about humans and about how we work together.
1: Yep. Oh, um, I love that. Yes, it does. Um, Cause at the end of the day, that is the hardest part about this whole thing is going to be that moment where someone wants to change a color. They want to change some of the copy and this becomes a human conversation. So yeah, the, the, the whole system is there to support the facilitation of that conversation, keep track of the decision that was made and then distribute the value down to all interested um, clients
0: Yeah, and I think that it is. This is why design systems fail if there's not service design attached to it. Um, uh, My talk with Dave Kaleha about service design and why service design matters. You know, somewhere between twenty and forty percent of a design system's success is in the tooling, and about you know, and basically the whole rest of that is is how well a team is able to adopt and utilize and work together around it. Um, And that I think always will will be so, no matter how wonderful we design these really incredible tools. Like there's all still going to be about how people use them.
1: Very nice. So, so Napsack's focus has been first solve the API layer, this sort of core experience of stashing and, and managing so that it can then build and empower other tools. It becomes a mm-hmm. foundational dependency of other things so that they can. Nice. Very nice. I had, I don't think I'd actually positioned it that way in my mind. I mean, I, I knew that, that it was an API, but, I like that it started um, so low level and that it can empower so many more things because of that strategy. So very nice. Cool.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean like it, it's reflective in the way that we think about the ecosystem. Like, you know, we want Figma files in our system. We have like a, a Figma plugin. We want XD files in our system. We did a big project with the Adobe team to to make that a reality. Nice. We want... Uh, I mean, hey, if you're using Storybook, like you should be able to embed Storybook inside of our application so that you can kind of understand like how that fits into the broader ecosystem. And And likewise, we support GitHub and we'll very soon support GitLab and Bitbucket and all of the other places where, you know, you would want that code integration to live. And so the idea isn't to to try to supplant these tools. It's the idea is, is like try to figure out what is the control point between all of these different disparate systems that all add up to a design system. Yep. Nice. Well, anyway, I, I think that that's great in terms of the chatting about, like, <laughs> yeah, as a design system, innately a fascist uh, uh, microcosm in our lives, uh, shackling us to, to a way of thinking. Um, I, I did right, want to. Here's
1: your five Legos. Go build me 100 experiences.
0: Right. You, you, no! you, you only get Starbucks cups and Sharpies. Go to town. <laughs> <laughs> um, thinking about this in terms of. of you know, governance, that's kind of the last piece that we really wanted to to hit on hard. Yeah. Um, and you can't really talk about governance without starting at, like, how do we build things? And and I, you had, like, one of the more brilliant analogies before the show about, like, working outward in versus content outward. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's a, a really great thing to explain just because I think it's a, a pretty solid grounding for the whole governance discussion.
1: Cool. So that thought process was looking at the. So there's an article I read recently that really supported why I think I was thinking about. It's called the grain of the web, and is working with the grain of the medium that you're in. And the medium that a lot of designs come from is not a medium of the web. It's a medium where you draw a box, and it's a freeform floating box, and it has very little uh, rules about it. And that's what's fun is your your like expression is like unfettered. Pretty much everything is available um and that's the way that everything starts is my the content of whatever so yeah we always start with the end app that we want and not necessarily our content so this is always like a thing an agency would be doing too is like oh you want to make a website do you have images and content you want to say about yourself oh we don't what do you think the website's going to be about (laughs) right so it's like this problem of like starting with uh wanting something but not knowing about what you're what you actually bring to the table in terms of content and value has been around for a long time, and it manifests in our design tools in that we draw boxes and then try to put paragraphs in them. And we're still doing that. Even with a design system, I watch people you know start open a new project, they've got pulled in the design system, they start building with components and they're still building outward in, um which is, not the way the web renders or the way that the web works. And it also creates a mentality that things will fit into my box, which is a problematic mentality for content because content is going to show up with mm-hmm. an individuality with its own personal needs and requirements. And if you created a box and put it in there, you're starting off on the wrong foot. And so what I was trying to share in that point was that uh, when we were talking earlier is, working that way is still prevalent and is still like a massive part of the problem so let's say we have design systems figured out and we've got you know everywhere from bricks to castles to build kingdoms um, we're still going to have people that go build um, a city and then try to stick people in it and you're like well don't you want to like ask people what they want or like here or give them a space and like see how it kind of comes up organically and naturally and it's almost like organic is the same thing as like intrinsic versus and then we have extrinsic uh, which is where you define a box and try to put things in so yeah i'm just still seeing even though we're advancing in our technologies in our collaboration strategies that at the end of the day the people that are approaching building are still doing it outward in and i don't know how to help them not do that and i don't know if it's tooling that needs to sort of like facilitate building up a canvas from inward outward i don't know i just think there's like a mentality swap that needs to happen it's focused on like what is my message what's the image i want to share and work out that way as opposed to being like i want it to be a card and then it will have an image and i'll go find copy to stick in there like i swear so often we're like hunting for things to put in the sticker we put i picked a sticker the sticker looked good uh now the sticker needs to Ooh, this is the hard part
0: what's it say right right now all of a sudden my headline wraps and it throws everything off alignment wise across my entire website. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And
0: <laughs> my my favorite thing is like uh um I was on a project one time and they had to localize in German and you know, we were talking about things with, with a design team and uh uh I was like, Well, so the one really hard part here is we have much longer headlines in German and like we always love to pick on German words for being like, you know, forty characters long or yep. whatever, right? Um, and I was, I was having a review with a designer and they're like, well, can they just make the the title shorter? I was like, what do you think just like, like soda cans in Germany are bigger? Do you think billboards are bigger there just to <laughs> accommodate like, like more letters than a word? No. Like the answer is, is that we have to be flexible about how these things get implemented and, you know, bringing this kind of background to, to the governance side of things, right? Like when you are, are kind of constructing in this way and you think about, the structure of construction of, of of any digital product, there's innately a change management process that has that has to undergo, right? And whether that is going from uh, an outward into a content outward model, or whether that is like a handoff from design to development or whatever, the grounding that we need to make there is like change has to be managed as things go through all this this different machinations. And so um and, and by the way, like like back to your first comment. I think that, that that's a cultural thing. I think that there's still so many people, especially in the world of design, but also even in the world of, of dev and technology that come from like the old the old print media days or like the, you know, AS400 UI days where, where people would be able to basically like, uh, uh, you know, have a very static medium. The web is innately like a very fluid, very easy to change medium. And even like to a large degree, native apps are um they are now yep it's, yeah you don't just have two iphone sizes anymore like the beginning days
1: oh it's easy to do
0: it. <laughs> now there's anyway yep right now you got notches and circles you got to cut out and all sorts <laughs> of other stuff too right um but uh uh when you think about how we construct things and how we manage that process from end to end that construction is innately driven by a governance process whether it's formal or informal like every single app team has a governance process whether they've codified it or not yeah and i think when you think about how you build and the constraints about what you you do um i lost my train of thought there when you think about how you build that app like that governance process can have a lot of influence about the way that everybody works inside of the team and that also relates to to design systems and design tooling because that can be an aid to that governance process or it can be a real headache.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of like a CMS um, that has a character limit on a subtitle. Right. And you're just like, okay, so in an attempt to make layout work easier or something, um, someone decided that a hundred characters was the limit and a marketer just tried to paste in something, 150 characters and yeah, how does this sort of like tension that's happening here now that's part of the governance model, part implementation details, part the mentality of how it all started. Yeah, it's sort of all winding up into this one little moment, huh?
0: Yeah, and I think that like, just to be clear, like when we talk about governance here, we're not talking about like like big governance processes, like how you advance an app forward in, in time and space. We're talking about like the little constraints that you set inside of your system that control the flow of information through through the work, and I think that that's actually that's something I meant to mention at the beginning that I, I kind of honestly forgot um, was this idea that like there are governance about like you know how to change culture inside of organizations and stuff like that. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is trying to figure out how the constraints you establish in a design system, reflect the 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 values in the way that the team wants to work
1: and how do you share that and and have a tool that facilitates communication and collaboration convergence divergence um, all that stuff which is very git centric which is why i think github is a great or just git sort of websites is a great example for where this design system governance can head and it should be heavily uh, you know influenced by that system
0: yeah i it's definitely been a huge boon for us is the idea that like git is your back end is actually like a really powerful concept right because even if you have a bunch of stuff that doesn't innately use git like like you know urls to figma files and and whatnot like you can push that into a git repository as as markdown or whatever that allow you to still revision the way that things were inside of that that focal point collaboration area and so your design system, content and all, should be something that exists inside of a framework like Git. And, I mean, Git just happens to be the most popular one, and in my opinion, like, you know, probably the best. And I, I don't think that anybody would argue with it being the most widely used in terms of, of managing that that control of change. Mercurial forever. Um, right. Man, I remember when we were working on um, <laughs> the Drupal.org migration, and we were, we were trying to, to move away from like CVS and we were deciding whether or not it was going to be McCurl or get or whatever. Or SVN and or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That, that debate, uh, you talk about bike sheds. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad it's over. It's in the past now. Yep. So, so anyway, thinking about where that all goes, um, uh, sorry, I keep losing my train of thought on this so where that all goes would be uh, a system where you can have all of these different disparate parts. You can control them all in one place. And then you can also like reduce the amount of constraints inside of the system based on your ability to, to understand how people actually use and manipulate data inside of the design system. So your subtitle example, the idea would be is that you would need to design for a multi-line subtitle or a, a, a you know, with some set of reasonable assumptions. And I think that this is one place where I I really want your opinion is like, when you think about defining reasonable assumptions as constraints inside of a system, like if you're a heading and you're a paragraph of text, that's probably something that is, is unreasonable. Um, But if you're also a heading and you're, you're two lines of text, maybe not unreasonable. And so how do you think about baking that sort of decision-making into your design system?
1: Yeah, this is definitely like a strategy thing. So, like, if I was to build this, my this is a very this is going to expose a lot of atomisms, I guess. Is I'd rather let someone put in two thousand characters in a heading, reload the app, and see the mistake, mm-hmm. um, than limit them and try to make a decision ahead of time. Like, essentially, there's so many uh, what ifs or butts or you know like in this scenario this should be fine and so i guess i kind of like a certain amount of human judgment to be in there and i think that's where design systems have this one feature that's like their most popular feature and it's the do's and don'ts section of like a Mm -hmm. of a design system and so i think maybe what you can do is kind of yeah you suggest the do's uh, and the don'ts and let someone work creatively with inside of there like i just like people still feeling like they can be creative like if i think the most successful design systems are the ones that people think they're getting away with something like tailwind for example (laughs) like tailwind um there's so many little escape hatches and you're like ah i'm gonna do this you don't even know tailwind or whatever and i think people like feeling sneaky and expressive and so uh, in my system i would allow them to do that and hopefully have like a a model where you know, if that hits staging and we see a headline that's just massive, we're going to be like, so uh, why is the headline so big? <laughs> you Want to tell us, uh, is there a good use case for this? Because, I mean, I'm down. If you know the users and who's going to be looking at it, it's okay. Um, and just kind of like facilitate a conversation about it, as opposed to having a tool um, have a little red linter in there that said, you know, eh, you can't do that. Um, but I don't know. I'm I'm still on this kick of human. Communication is really hard, but I still think we should have it. And sometimes tooling tries to push out human calm, And Mm -hmm. I get upset. I'm like, no, you could still talk to people about why stuff shouldn't be that way. um, Or ask them why, like maybe you'll learn something because you hadn't thought of that use case yet. So that's where I'm at, though. But I'm curious. Yeah. What would you do in this scenario?
0: Yeah. I think that it's interesting to, to, well, so first of all, I love the idea that tailwind brings out your inner toddler, um, <laughs> having a toddler at home. I, I get that all the time. Like, like my kid is all about cheating to win right now. Seriously, sure. I can't
1: get them to do anything unless I tell them I don't want it. I swear. Like as soon as I'm like, dude, don't no. do that. They're like, Oh, I'm gonna go do that now. I'm like, Oh man.
0: No, it's, it's all about a race for, for me. Like uh, he'll like, I'll, I'll be like, Hey, we need to go change your clothes. He'd be like, "No," and I'll be like, "I'll race you," and he'll get this sly look on his face <laughs> and then run. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Um, uh, but but in all seriousness, like when it comes down to to like how do you control every single decision in a design system? You know, the reality is, is you can't. I think you mark down the do's and don'ts for the ones that really matter, and then you establish a set of purpose and principles that give people a rubric for how to evaluate the rest. Yeah. And, you know, we we used to talk a lot about purpose and principles on the show. We haven't revisited that topic very recently, but I think that one of the things that is really powerful about those things is because you can't document everything. The stuff that you can't document should be governed by those purpose and principles. When you come to those crossroads of what should I do, that should be your rubric for decision-making.
1: I wonder if tooling can sort of... uh like help facilitate the conversation too, kind of like uh, raising an issue on GitHub. Hey, uh, this might not actually be a bug. This is sort of me asking questions and maybe other people would want to see the answers and sort of um, having that become very public. I think a lot of what I like about Mm -hmm. the concept of design systems and the future of them is the more, not, and I don't mean public, like as some design systems are like very public, like completely open. I mean more like, Public, like, it just looks transparent. It looks mm. approachable, and it has this vibe of um, I can see into it and find the things I need and ask questions, and no one's going to get mad at me type of thing. Um, yeah, just design yeah, systems are so, hard, that. so it's Yeah, you got to be lenient in them for that way because otherwise users, yeah, again, yeah, I just think they need to feel expressive and maybe even feel like they're getting away with something sometimes or else it just loses its fun. That's just lame to say, but I don't know. There's something less fun about designing with components sometimes.
0: Well, there's also like, I mean, design systems are about play. I think, I think that good good design systems make people feel like they're playing. And I think that that's, Mm. that's a cool concept to latch onto. Nice. But even beyond that, the idea of how do I make something still remain fun, but still exert control over it? Um, you know the the human factor is obviously important in this, but also the the gentle reminder, the gentle nudge, right? Like the the way that you can make a comment in a design system, or or have an interaction in a design system, see your pull requests in your design system, understand how the work is flowing through that system and getting done, is a really essential way of understanding like how you're a part of that bigger whole. Um, and it reminds me a lot about, like, my roots in open source. Like, I spent a lot of time in the Drupal community. Um, and watching that transparent, very public, very open discussion yeah. about, like, you know, even the the really devilish details, like, warts and all. Um, I mean, if anybody doesn't know, like, the Drupal.org ecosystem is, is by default public. And there's only very certain specific things that are behind the curtain, most of the time related to, like, security and other, like, really sensitive stuff. Nice. Um, but that... Fostered this sense of community, and it fostered this sense of understanding how the contributions that individual is making, or how that consumption of that thing came to pass. Yeah. Um, and so that expression of intent, uh, uh, again, in in almost like the history of a component is really important, and being able to see how that component evolved into to the thing that it is now, I think that like you know the ability yeah. to almost like see a timeline of an evolution of something is very helpful for people understanding intent.
1: Yep. Yeah. Because a lot of times decisions that someone else made are really frustrating. You know, things other people coded are frustrated or even just things I coded last year are frustrating. But being able to (laughs) see the decisions that led to its current state can help you get back into the position of like, oh, OK, I understand why this is here and I'm not as angry anymore. Um, And I think that can be really nice. I really am attracted to this concept of how similar, like I'm just sort of noticing it now that CMSs and design systems are really similar. Um, and I'm I'm wondering why haven't more design systems almost just looked exactly like WordPress or something? Why isn't there one like that?
0: Yeah, it, it's a, it's a totally valid question. And I think a large part of it is is because design systems data has still largely been unstructured like Mm. yeah sure we got schemas but like how used are those schemas to really represent fields and data and everything like that and and you know lots of times like where you define schemas is in a very independent place from where you're actually like you know coding your components and you know not everybody uses TypeScript and all sorts of other things like that right like keep in mind that the vast majority of design systems that have any prominence whatsoever out in the world are, are complete custom built end to end. Um, and that complete custom build comes with a lot of like, like, I mean, for lack of a better word, things that were really great at implementation, but then you don't have budget or time to address post implementation that end up being shortcomings. Um, and, and, you know, It's not, I would say, uncommon in today's landscape to get a couple million dollars to build a design system. What is uncommon is to get a couple million dollars to maintain a design system.
1: Ooh, yes. Um, And that's, I think, the excitement of most creation is creation sounds so much more fun than maintenance, Um, but maintenance is the true value that you need to sort of be oriented towards is to make that path easier. Not your creation path easier, but your maintenance path. Interesting, yeah.
0: And you are starting to see a lot more, like, cms style things show up in design systems in some of the more recent examples. Um, I think that, that it's funny. We're hitting, like, all the high-point debates of, of when Evan and I were first, like, starting this whole thing about, like, what we talked about. Like, here are we just building a new CMS? <laughs> like, we had that conversation, too, where you're sitting around a campfire with a beer in our hands being like, so is this the next CMS? And And we're basically like, you know if you're able to take a bunch of components and you're able to glue them all together and then you're able to tie it to a content source, like how different is that than yeah. a CMS? I mean, you're just kind of missing the publishing and maybe some wiring up of some backend services, right. you got but... a draft token. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, uh, you know, we ultimately decided that, that the domain of CMS is all about like a, a very independent purpose than a design system. And, while the two are pretty intimately intertwined, the way that you think about the creation and management of content. So so let me first preface this by basically saying, like, like the model of the stack is dead, right? Like we all pretty much know that. Like you you unless you're a small organization that doesn't have a dev team or it's like a small site or something like that, there's very few people that actually want to couple their display to their content these days. Um and so that decoupled app framework, that idea of like I want to have a Reactor. I want to have some other thing that is not like the thing that is packaged in my CSS, rendering my or CMS rendering my CSS. Um, you know that that's what this is all predicated on. So so the idea of like the domain of a CMS is to have a place to create that constructed content that is then tied to an API to ship, which is another leg of the stool. In the same way that backend and stuff like like. Uh, uh, square and shopify and uh uh you know all any number of back-end services exist content has become a service framework like with things like contentful and other applications like i mean Drupal can function as a service wordpress and then front end is the last remaining piece of that and why front end was the last remaining leg of that stool was because front end is governed by convention and even in a lot of modern design systems it still is there isn't that rigid definition of schemas that are actually making a design system api a reality for the vast majority of people
1: yeah the front end is the uh convergence of everything right it's all effort converges there and this is why i'm still surprised people think front end is easy when it's just like well I'm... apparently you don't front know it's the convergence fire. of fire yeah
0: and, and it's, it's much less of a dumpster fire than it was five years ago, which is also, like, a really hard thing to, to explain to people. And I mean that in, like, the kindest possible terms, right? Like, I, I just think that, like, if you look at just even the evolution of JavaScript from jQuery to, like, modern JavaScript frameworks, like, that is so empowering and so enabling for people to actually, like, build real apps on top of JavaScript. And now it can also be like JavaScript all the way down, right? Like you can have React and you can have Node and you can have CSS and JS and all this other stuff that is all working in concert to actually create like a real predictable application.
1: They're all graph-based. They all are just connecting the graphs, composing new graphs, and enabling something to, to pull from those and build something new from a single source. Yep.
0: Yeah. But I mean, like, again, look at where we were at five years ago. We're like, like BEM was new. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe it's a little older than that, <laughs> but now into like this idea that, you know, we have TypeScript that is doing like, you know, rigid definitions of of variables and, you know, allowing us to flow information back and forth in like their own like little tiny schema that's on top of your, your code. Like it's super powerful where we're at now in the front end. And That's what's kind of enabling all this design system stuff to shine.
1: Yep. I get, you know, like kind of confused. And even with tokens and stuff, it's like, how do you start to codify composition? Like design systems often have this thing where it's like, here's a button, here's an input. I'm like, all right, um, what's the best way to put these together? Or how do you know if I have two submit buttons next to each other? Um, Do you style them different automatically or do I have to go do something? How, what's the thinking of like Knapsack in terms of like orchestrating? two disparate tokens into a new one if they're defined in a certain way is there a verbiage or a syntax
0: for that yeah I mean not without a custom implementation right now and and I mean we want to get there like so so we've actually been talking about this a lot right like how do you define like arrays inside of tokens right nice, yeah. and and when you have like like arrays like there's no simple way to do this like you could design a UI for an array of strings you could design a UI for an array of Objects. You could design a UI for array of any number of things, but then all of a sudden like nest an array inside of an array. Well, you just blow up your UI. Um, and so what we've basically settled on is this idea of kind of like an advanced mode editor where you're able to define these more like object structured functional pieces of tokens and allow them to relate to other tokens. Um, you know, trying to figure out how to do that in an elegant way, where like, like, we don't have a code editor in our app. Um, so how do you think about, like, allowing people to actually, like, paste a block of code into Knapsack that is representative of a JSON file that defines that token schema or whatever? Um, and so, you know, the answer is, like, you can do that inside of your repo today, and Knapsack will respect that result. Um, but we are not yet empowering people to understand how, like, all right, so I've got an array of buttons or a button grid how do I have an array of tokens that also is responsive to that button grid? Um, and so that's that's not something that uh, like it's something that we're working on, and I'm really excited about about where that's headed. And it's in the not too far flung future.
1: I wonder if that's why layouts are so hard. Is that um, here's here? Okay, I'm sorry to bring it back to the token thing. They're just so fun. Is that I think the tokens that are the most effective are Leafs, right? They're the the end of yep. the, the other edge of the the graph here and so what i'm asking is is how to how does a design system represent something that's a convergence or is a overlap of two at the same time and it's just not something that um an, an api is very good at answering when it's really good at answering leafs and and yeah layouts aren't leaves, are they they um they need and touch too much stuff so that must be why they're struggling so hard to get into these systems is you have. theoretically you'd have to define your grid that has a bunch of typed slots and then you have to have things that can you've typed slot children that then some element says, I am of this anyway, you just have you have to go define a whole bunch of extra stuff just so that your system can be aware enough of their relationship together. Ah, man, it's just really explodes oh, and, then, and then you. and then
0: nest something and then all of a sudden like the meta level becomes so brain breaking it's just it's very hard to traverse and yeah. yeah you're absolutely right I like the higher order tokens is how this gets solved and and i literally have only ever seen one design system that has ever had actually that concept in production and i think that that it is a frontier and i think that that's what's most exciting about it is like these are very hard problems now, but I don't think that they're always going to be. I think that that the value is obviously here, right? Like you and I are sitting here talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have these kind of conversations with a relatively high amount of frequency. People are going to start to see having a baseline design system that connects design and code as table stakes. And now the really fun stuff is what comes after. And I yeah. think that this is definitely one of those like what comes after ideas that I'm really excited to explore.
1: Nice. Yeah, it's just the concept of design system is, I don't I don't think it's questionable now. It's like, no, this is good for you. If you have multiple targets that you're building towards, um, this is something that you should start investing in earlier than later. Um, but it's not done and it does have a whole lot to grow. And it is exciting to think about. I've just put out a question the other day about layouts and how are people managing them in a design system. And it's just like, The options are still really wide, which makes finding the right tactic really hard and sounds like everyone's just kind of going bespoke. Yeah, finding finding what works for them and moving forward with it. A lot of it comes down to like sales too, and having an advocate, someone who can go convince other people that it's worth reading the components and finding these tokens. but yeah, I guess that's yeah, a good I mean, conversation like, too. Like
0: usually somebody that's willing to be paid in like beer and pizza for a little while, right? Because <laughs> usually like that's not sanctioned work. That's still something that's that's usually happening is like uh, an insurgency inside of an organization. It reminds me of street teams. More- Do
1: you remember street teams for bands?
0: No, I don't. Like Um, I'm I'm missing you on this one, man. You and I are usually so good on these things.
1: (laughs) You'd have like good Charlotte or MXPX or Green Day or I don't know, maybe it's like Aaliyah or something. And you'd have a street team that's in your local area, and they're just like kids and cats that are down to go pitch the band. So they'd go. They'd get mailed flyers. Yes, yeah.
0: I grew up in a small town. So like, we probably didn't have those. Oh,
1: nice. Okay. So yeah, this would be like, like some friends would be like, all right, I just got my shipment from green day. I'm going to go to their show tonight and hand out flowers or flyers. And I'm going to get a free Red Bull. Um,
0: Okay. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. Early influencer marketing. Um, Early
1: influencer marketing.
0: Definitely. All right, man. Well, Hey, this has been an awesome talk as always. It's been really great uh, to catch up with you. You've been so generous with your time. Um, I love talking about this stuff. I'm sure we're going to have another conversation again. Uh, But I just want to say like from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Um, And uh, I look forward to when this goes live um, and we can, we can keep talking more.
1: Same. Yeah. I mean, five minutes is all that's gone by, right? So next time we'll do a 10 minute talk. Yeah. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's all for today. This has been another episode of the Design Systems Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like to know more about, find us on Twitter at the DS Pod. We'd love to hear from you with show ideas, recommendations, questions, or comments. As always, this pod is brought to you by Knapsack. You can check us out at knapsack.cloud. Have a great day.